last Sunday uh, began a new series of messages focusing on my favorite theme in life, that is worship. And the theme of the series is, uh, it's a four-part series titled, Oh, Worship the King. Last week was, Jesus is worthy of our praise because of who He is, namely, the eternal God, the Creator, the uh, one who took on humanity to be the Redeemer, to die as an acceptable substitute. So Jesus is worthy of our praise. Today, we continue that same theme, O worship the King, with part two, Jesus is worthy of our gifts. Now, this is not primarily a message on putting something in the offering plates. The offering plates have already gone by. But it's really one of evaluating my level, your level of stewardship, which begins, as was said of the Macedonians, who first gave themselves to the Lord. And so ask yourself from the very get-go of this time sharing in God's Word, if an angel could see my heart, would the angel say, that is a life wholly given over to the Lord. Wide open, God, do what you will, and I mean it, and I want you to. Use me, Lord. I'm giving it, and I have given it, and I'm giving it afresh and anew. Is that what would be seen and evident in your life? Matthew chapter 2, if you'd make your way there. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is worthy of our gifts. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, he demanded of them where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, or more precisely, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not Return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. There's no greater occupation in life 
than that of worship. That's not an opinion. It follows. If Christ is Lord of our lives, then to bow before him, to yield to him, to serve him with all the vigor of our soul uh, is only appropriate. Worship is filled with sights and sounds and, and uh, songs and, and speech and sacrifices and even scents. You can smell it, worship, uh, in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And there's no such thing as passive worship. It is active. It was active in the lives of these magi when they came from the east seeking to find Christ. Let me offer three primary points about worship and Jesus being worthy of bringing the gift of worship to him, which is what these magi did. And we see in this text that some people are apathetic regarding worship. Some people, in fact, I would argue most people are apathetic regarding worship. It's amazing to me that with so much evil and turmoil and hatred and the like that we see in the world, that most people, the vast majority, do not run to try to find God, just to seek out who he is, how he can be found. I tell you, I, uh, uh, I'll listen on the radio. A lot of times I'll listen to sports radio, and uh, uh, they'll be talking about their Christmas plans. And almost always, almost always, it includes uh, what kind of... Uh, 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 how, uh, how lightheaded uh, they'll become by imbibing certain beverages, we'll say. Uh, let, uh, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you're talking about Christmas. You're talking about love and joy and what ought to be worship, and you are consumed with being consumed. I'm thinking, oh, it's so sad. And why is that? It's because of John 3, 19. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I want to pursue what I want to pursue. When I was in college uh, and in my undergraduate degree in chemistry, I would get frustrated with professors who had earned doctorates and even taught in a religious school where I attended not because I was of that persuasion, but that's where I wanted to get my degree, yet were blind to the truth of Scripture, blind to uh, the doctrine of creation, blind to uh, the doctrine of uh, redemption, thinking that it was somehow man-aided or man-centered. Blind and apathetic about the things of God. It's not that most people openly hate God, it's that mostly it's lip service, it's indifference, it's apathy. Oh, it's fine to sing God Bless America. It's fine to have a preacher at a memorial service, but when it comes to personal repentance and holiness and consecration, many in our time will say, that's good for you, but I have my own way. I have my own uh, system of believing. Well, in the crowd in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem in that day, most, most were apathetic. They should have known about Messiah arriving. They could have known, and in fact, some did, but they were apathetic. They had the scriptures. They even quoted Micah 5 too. Oh, he's coming to Bethlehem. We can tell you, we can tell you the text. 
When the wise men asked, and when Herod asked, but they were apathetic and they remained in apathy. So check your heart today. And those listening and viewing uh, by way of internet, where is your heart regarding worship? Has your all, your time, talents, and treasure, have you brought every gift that you have in your possession, which God has actually entrusted to you, and said in so many words, Lord, it's yours. All that I have, my education, my health, my pocketbook, my whatever, you name it, that has been entrusted to you. And Lord, it's yours if you want to use me in this way, if you want to use me in that way. It is yours. That is what worship is, is wholly availing yourself from the heart um, to him. For Christ is worthy to be worshiped, adored, honored, followed. Most people are apathetic. Some people are antagonistic regarding worship. No matter how much they know, there will be some who do reject. And Herod typified this. According to history, King Herod was the first of the Herods who ruled in this part of the world, and he was ruling on behalf in, 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 uh, in the stead of, in the place of Rome. He had successfully squashed a rebellious faction of Jews who were revolting against Rome. History says that he fought the Parthians, uh, those who were further east, in the area where, from which the wise men came, for two years, and he was victorious, and he was named king of the Jews. You are in Palestine, you are in Israel, let me better state it, and you are now the king in this whole region. And when someone came to town and said, we are looking for the king of the Jews, we've seen his star, he got rattled. Now, this was not a kid king. This was a, a king who in the 30s BC won battle after battle as a young soldier, such as the age of Alexander the Great. And, and now we're talking 40 years later, 50 years later, He's some 65, 70, 75, and he's not making way for any other king of the Jews. That was the place that he enjoyed for all those decades. So he was quite antagonistic. In fact, look at his true motive. In verse 16 of our text, you'll see it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem in all its borders from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men, which by the way, 17 and 18, was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah. So this is somebody who you're not to monkey with him. And when wise men came, that just raised the antagonism to a new level about whether or not he would follow what the Word says about Christ being born in Bethlehem. So, most people, apathetic. In your life, you know of people. Some people, possibly antagonistic, really uh, hate the idea, hate the idea of Christmas, hate the idea of focusing on this newborn child, ultimately who is the Redeemer and the soon returning King. I'll not have him rule over me. Are you like that? Is that where you would find yourself?
But then there are also people who are enthusiastic regarding worship. The wise men, the magi, were enthusiastic in their pilgrimage to worship. They came from quite a distance, and they had, uh, as it was suggested uh, this morning, uh, uh, Brother Luke, that was a tremendous devotional to start the Sunday school hour this morning, and I thought when you were sharing, I thought, uh, oh, he's He's, he's, he's stealing the thunder from, the, from the, uh, the sermon because you alluded to how did they know that they were looking for Messiah? How did they know that? Uh, the Magi coming from the east, a long, hundreds of miles away in the area of uh, Iraq, Iran, which was formerly Babylon and then Medo-Persia and then the Grecian Empire and the like. How did they know? Well, Daniel was there and Daniel was there a long time, and he was, had, a, had a high a level of, uh, of leadership in, that, in those two different nations, Babylon and then Medo-Persia. And so certainly, he instructed the people in the Word of God to the degree that they knew it. And so, the Magi date back to the Babylonian Empire during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were skilled, they were educated in, in astronomy and philosophy and agriculture and mathematics and, and uh, uh, history and all the rest. Certainly, they knew from history what Daniel taught, and it's quite possible that uh, the date for Messiah, not only quite possible, it is plausible that they understood the date for Messiah would be about that time, just like Simeon and Anna knew. Simeon and Anna knew uh, by virtue of what the book of Daniel told them. And what did the book of Daniel say in Daniel's 70th weeks, uh, 70 weeks prophecy? That 70 weeks are determined upon Israel and 69 uh, sets of seven, so 483 years from the time of the rebuilding uh, of the wall of Jerusalem until Messiah will be cut off will be that amount of time. So they just simply did pretty simple math. A fourth grader could do that kind of math. Uh, uh, 490 years, take away seven, 483. You start at 445 BC, you move forward, you've got about 30 AD. Now those are the real, real general numbers. You all follow that argument? They easily could have known that. And then of course the Spirit of God through the miracle of the star directed them every step other way. The point is, they didn't casually consider this information. They didn't passively, they aggressively, enthusiastically pursued the Lord. Now, how were they characterized? They were responsive. They were given light and they responded to the light. Folks, uh, of all people groups in world history, my do we have a lot of light. Amen? I mean, we have a Bible anywhere we want to find one. We have resources. We have counselors. We have books. We have uh, uh, Christian radio. And I mean, we are, we are inundated with opportunity to know, to research, to study, to cross-reference. And really, I mean, we can really be Bereans to know what the Word says and what it means I've been given a lot of light, and to whom much is given, much is required. So I'm to respond in faith, in following the light God has given to me. Now, all kinds of guesses, conjectures about the star. Bible deniers say, well, it was a supernova. 
star with increasing intensity. An asteroid uh, with a certain alignment of the planets allowed the light to be refracted in a way and on and on. Um, but the thing is, the star kept moving around. <laughs> okay, come on, turn, turn, turn 10 degrees north. Turn, turn that, uh, no, of course it didn't act like anything like that. It was the miracle of God because light was given and they were responding to the light. That's what happened with you at salvation. A quickening happened. God woke you up out of deadness. You cannot wake yourself up out of deadness, right? Amen? You cannot resurrect yourself if you are dead. And Scripture says in Ephesians 2.1, you have he made alive. You, he woke up who were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. He woke you up. He shined the light in your face. You said, oh my, I'm in a dungeon. I'm under judgment. <clears throat> but I'm going to follow this light to the place of safety and freedom. And that light is Christ. And you were released from captivity, as was I, because you responded to the light. <clears throat> Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. It says in Matthew 17, 2, and his face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. And I've been following and responding to the light these 46 years that I've known him as you have been, or are you, or do I? Well, I'll confess that I do not always respond to the light that I'm given the way God wants me to, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, it is shameful. Isn't it shameful to dismiss, to reject, to ignore the light God gives you from his word? Isn't that shameful? Do you join me in saying, shame on me for that? How dare I do that? What, what audacity to have the light of life and love and to just casually walk by to say, not for me. Oh, my. May I never dare live in that, uh, in that uh, path. They were responsive, the Magi. Secondly, they were humble. These guys were the leaders in their culture. These guys were the cream of the crop, and yet they humbly went looking for a newborn king. A newborn king. It's noteworthy that this is recorded in Matthew and not in Mark, Luke, or John, because Matthew presents Christ as king. The word kingdom is used 144 times in the New Testament and over 50 times, uh, uh, more than a third in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records 60 Old Testament prophecies about Messiah, attributing it to, attributing the, the prophecy to Christ. And so they were humble in saying, we don't have the, the, uh, all the truth, but we're going to, in fact, pursue him. We're going to bring, and think about what they did. They packed up their duffel bags and traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles 
responding to the light in a spirit of humility. We're going to show this king what's up. We're going to teach him history. We're going to uh, instruct him in uh, the higher learning area. Not even close to that. They bowed before him. Humble humility. And thirdly, they were passionate. It seems like they were asking everyone. Look in verse 2, if you would. Verse 2 of our text. Saying, as if saying to everyone, okay, where's the king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We've come to worship him. It's as if they were going around until Herod heard about it, and he called them in. The humbly responded to the light that they received, and their further response was passion to the one who is the light. Now, what about this gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Much has been made of it. Gold, precious currency, valuable throughout time, symbol of royalty. And maybe it does suggest, it represents, or at least it intimates Christ, the son of David, the king. And frankincense, expensive fragrance used in worship. And we see that in Leviticus, how it was burned in the tabernacle and then in the temple. Speaking possibly son of God, divinity. And then myrrh. An ointment primarily used for burial preparation, the son of man. He died as a man because only a man could pay the penalty for men. And so the man, Christ Jesus, died for you, for me, who have believed. Jesus is worthy of our gifts He's the king returning soon to establish his sovereign rule on earth. And because I am his subject, one of his subjects, the first thing he demands is my heart. And not my heart one time at the point of justification. Uh, Of course, that's the case. And not that I'm justified time and time again. Uh, I'm saved once. Of course, that's the case but in a fresh uh, and a new way, a renewal. Uh, You've heard it said of the wife who says to the husband, uh, we've been married these 40 years uh, and you never say I love you to me. And she's crying uh, and she's genuine and he's amazed as husbands can be. I told you I loved you when we got married. If it changes, I'll give you notice. (laughs) It just doesn't play in Peoria or anywhere else for that matter. It's a moment-by-moment fresh offering of self. I alluded to Macedonia. It's found in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5, where it says in the English Standard Version, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given unto the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, problems were happening, persecution's coming, poverty is upon them. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. The joy of the Lord filled their heart. They were absolutely poor, and they gave from their poverty. They just gave and gave from their poverty. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Uh, apparently the apostles are saying, no, no, not you. You shouldn't take part. You don't have anything. Are you kidding? Of course we're going to participate. Of course we're going to uh, bring gifts because Jesus is worthy of our giving. In essence is what they were saying. They learned from the Magi. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by, to us by the will of God. Once God has my heart, then anything and everything else in my life is offered to him. Young person, uh, and I say young person because typically God will call a young person, not necessarily, but most of the time. A young person, does he have your heart? If so, is he tugging at you for missions? Does he want you to go to Timbuktu? And there is such a place, by the way. Does he want you to serve on the college campus right where you are? The high school campus. If he has your heart, it's no longer what, what do I want to do? It's what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with my time, talents, and treasure? might surprise you. I didn't know I was going into the ministry. If I would have known that, I would not have been pursuing the degree that I was pursuing, but God doesn't make a mistake. He let me know in the fullness of time when, when he wanted to let me know. And it hasn't been a waste at all. He owns me. My life is a worship offering. It's really our church theme. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's being in the world. I'm in the world, uh, and I'm to present it all. Here I am, God. You use me as you will. And then, not of the world, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So my life, a worship offering, means Jesus is worthy of my gifts of time, talents, and treasure. Now the obligation is upon me, upon you, to not put a restriction. Oh, my, my is it easy to put a restriction Maybe it's not stated, but God, I'll give you anything. You, you can have everything. Uh, don't, don't call my grandchild into missions to Lebanon. God, don't make me reconcile with the neighbor down the street who hasn't cleaned up what the dog left, the present the dog left in my yard. A preacher. Is that appropriate? It's life, folks. Right? It's life. And the things that, in which we get, uh, can get our noses out of joint can shipwreck 
our walk with the Lord. When bitterness and unforgiveness uh, and materialism and, uh, and you name it get in the way, then I'm not in a position to be offering the gift of my life for the Lord's service. May we have the heart of the Magi who went seeking he who was born king of the Jews. Lord, I'm thankful for this, your word. It's a message we know. It's a passage we know. Lord, I've known about this to some degree most of my life, even before I got saved. And I've certainly known about it since I've known you. And yet, the reminder is compelling, it's convicting, it's convincing that you are worthy of our gifts of time, talents, treasure, of going to a foreign field, of supporting a missionary, of testifying in the workplace, of forgiving a neighbor, of reconciling with a family member, or just whatever your will is. No, no restrictions. As Borden of Yale said and wrote down in his journal, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Lord, would you move on the hearts of your people? Cause our hearts to be willing to be broken and spilled out just for love of you, Jesus, for you are worthy. In your name.